So if you've got your Bibles, 2 Kings chapter 4. I want to dive straight into the text. 2 Kings chapter 4. I'll give you a moment to find it on, in, your, in the physical text or in your phone. Say, I've got it, if you've got it. There, there we go. I just needed to wait till Louise had it. Then I'm ready. So 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1 says this. One day, the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, My husband who served you is dead. And you know how he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come threatening to take my two sons as slaves. What can I do to help you? Elisha asked. Tell me, what do you have in the house? Nothing at all except a flask of olive oil, she replied. And Elisha said, borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. Can you say empty with me? Then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it is filled. So she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her, and she filled one after another. Soon every container was full to the brim. Can you say full? Come on. Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. There aren't any more, he told her. And then the olive oil stopped flowing. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. Your word sets free. Your word breaks chains. Your word brings life. And I pray right now to every broken heart, every beaten heart, every barren heart, the life of your word to flow. And I prophesy right now as we preach into every empty promise, every empty dream, every empty hope, every empty future, every empty heart, every empty uh, life, I prophesy the fullness of the living God to flow today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, 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 amen. I felt the Spirit of God in the preach, eh? Let's just go home already. Come on, very, very exciting. Just some context to this, this text we zone in, in on. 2 Kings chapter 3, the story, the narrative that precedes this story that we just read is this incredible story uh, starring Elisha and three amazing kings as they take on a foreign enemy, the nation of Moab. It's this huge moment where he takes on these three kings. It's this political coup. It's this incredible moment to, to show the, the power of the living God in a powerful way. Elisha prophesies into a nation and nations find victory. It's this huge moment. Then, the story just after the story, if you keep reading, is a story about this financially powerful woman, a woman who was probably a big donor of Elisha's ministry, a woman who had, who had cash for days, and she obviously, along with it, had authority and a bit of a reputation, and her son dies, and Elisha comes and raises him to life, this resurrection powerful miracle. We've got power on this side, and we've got power on that side, and wedged in between these two amazing stories is a seemingly insignificant, very ordinary miracle into a poor widow and her financial status. I want to say from the get-go, we serve a powerful God. But He's also a personal God. He's both powerful and personal. And I want to say the statement, He cares just as much as what is happening in the nations of the earth as what is filling your fridge at the moment. He's powerful and He's personal. We get to this text, and this text starts, and it says, this woman comes. It starts with her dilemma, her problem, her issue, and she runs to Elisha. And she obviously knows him. They've got a bit of a history because her husband used to serve with him. And she says, my husband who served you is dead, and now a creditor has come threatening to take my two sons as slaves. 
such a crazy story, such an introduction, because if you can use your imagination with me, I need some water. This is a very thirsty place. Eh? Oh, high quality H2O right there. As Bobby Boucher would have said. Sorry, just, just bring context. You know, just, I don't want to just quote things here without crediting. Water boy. Anyway, come on, guys. Stick with me, yeah, please. This is very serious business. I've got the keys in the background. It has to be a holy moment. Hold on, Sharon. But if you imagine this lady's life, uh, if you can imagine before she's, got, she's married to this incredible guy who served with the prophets, Elisha and the other prophets. She's got two sons. Her life, she's probably well known. She's looked after her life. She's got big photos and happy wedding days and incredible moments and future and dreams. And the flow of her life seems to be one of from glory to glory. It's good. Things are good. And then all of a sudden, it's almost like the tap on her life is switched off. As she gets that news, that phone call, I can imagine that one day, and maybe you've been in that position where, sorry, your, your husband, yes, he's, he, he's dropped down dead. And the phone gets dropped, and the whole world starts to spin. And everything else that she thought, the trajectory of her life, suddenly dries up in a moment. And not only is her husband dead, but actually the insurance doesn't cover his death. And suddenly they realize that the policies aren't making sense. And all of a sudden, she's not just lost her husband, the one she lies with at night, the one that she confides in and trusts and has pledged her future to. He, not only he is dead, but actually all the finances along with it dry up. And now she's scrambling. She's having, she's having to find a job, but no one is wanting to employ her. Her CV has not got enough reputation on it to be able to get a job in that climate. It's a climate of drought. It's a climate of famine. No one's going to be employing a widow in this moment who doesn't really know what to do. So she's, she's scrambling. She's calling on reserves. And so much so that she's so in debt that now creditors are coming saying, actually, you've got so much debt. We need to take your sons as slaves. It's almost like the flow of his life has stopped and it's going the other way. And she's, and she's in panic. So she goes to one place. She knows where to go. She goes to Elisha. And maybe you're here today and you feel like that. I, I just know the power of one moment. Power of one diagnosis. Your life can be going along and you get that one diagnosis. You get that one mistake that happens. You have that one sin, that one incident, that one betrayal, that one failure that almost feels like stops your life in its tracks. And, you, and, and as much as everything else seems to carry on going, you feel that I can't. One disease, one virus, one pandemic, one business deal, everything starts to be shaken and the confidence in our faith is eroded. But this is where we get to this moment. I want to help us today navigate these sort of understandings. I want to help us revive the flow of God's life in our life. And I want to give us three things from this text. If you write three things, if you're happy to take notes online, I'd ask you to write them down. If you're here in the room, why don't you write these down? These are helpful things that I believe God is wanting to deposit in our lives for us to see the glory in the empty. That's the title of the sermon this morning, and I want to help us understand the glory in the empty. So number one, point one, three things that we need to look at again if we're going to see the flow of God happen and see the glory in our empty. Number one, we have to look afresh at our resources. Look at our resources afresh. You see, she comes to her and says, I need help. And Elisha the prophet says, what can I do for you? And I would imagine then she's, he's going to bust out the checkbook, the credit book. You know, your husband worked with me. Come on, I'm sure I owe him some bucks. Comma, says, what's in your house? It's a little bit frustrating. <laughs> she, we, she's wanting, come on, Elisha, come on, prophet, come and turn this thing around. He goes, yeah, what can I do for you? What is in your house? profound question and this amazing dialogue happens she's almost exasperated she goes nothing and there's a comma 
And I, I love reading the Bible this way. I see that comma, and that comma is just for me, not just a breath, a place. I can imagine that it was probably a very long comma. She goes, nothing, angrily at, at Elisha. And I can just imagine Elisha just looked at her. It's like when you ask your kid, what did you do today? Nothing. Really, nothing. Come on, think a little bit harder. Think, think, think. And it's that awkward silence. Nothing! And she awkwardly goes, a little bit of oil. A small flask of oil. That's all I've got. What do you want me to do with that? This incredible understanding, this, this moment. that the, Actually, I love how the Word of God speaks to us. Because I want to say, maybe it's just for one person here, two people here, three people. You feel, I've got nothing left. I want to tell you, you have more than you know. You have more than you know. He's not done. He's not finished. And I love the fact for me that actually the prophets of old and the, the firebrand prophets would tell, remind everyone, you're going to die. And maybe some of you need a reality check that, yes, you are going to die. But I'm telling you, God has sent this prophet, a redhead flaming prophet, to tell you, you're not dead yet. You're not dead yet. The end hasn't come yet. You've still got breath in your lungs. The story is not yet done. And I think we need to hear it and be reminded of that today because actually this is the way God works. This is his pattern. He meets with Moses and Moses says, Moses, I'm sending you. And Moses says, I've got nothing. I can't even speak. And God says, what's in your hand? It's a stick, God. Jesus is at a wedding. And they come and say, Jesus, there's no more wine. There's nothing. Jesus looks at them. What are those water jars? What are they? One, two, three, four, five, six. <laughs> no? It comes to a moment, the disciples come and say, Jesus, there's this huge crowd. Send them away. We've got nothing to feed them with. Jesus looks at them. There's a lunchbox over there. What's in it? This is how God works. And I want to tell you, I love this story that in this moment, God doesn't change the miraculous. He changed the size of her container. She doesn't go back and, do, 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 do. wow, what a miracle. That would have been cool. But that's not how God works. Because God is actually not looking for people who will trust the size of their containers, but he's looking for people who trust the size of their God. This is who God is. So we, I want to say, Life Change Church, you have more than you know. Look at your resources again. Secondly, I want to say we have to look again, look afresh at our response. I love this text because Elisha then says to her, she says, I've got this little bit of oil in one jar. He goes, go and borrow as many empty jars as you can from your neighbors. Shut the door and start to pour that little bit that you've got out into the other jars. And watch what God will do. I love this because actually in that text, it's like, it is such a shocking instruction to someone who's got very little. Pour it out into other jars. Make it even less in natural eyes. Pour out what little you've got and make it less. Uh, in, in economics, I would say, no, maybe go sell that and you have one more meal at least. Or, I, I don't know. But this incredible lady responds in a simple, powerful way. Verse 5 says this, she did as she was told. Oh, doesn't, I think, can I tell you, I think in our culture, we feel that it's so, um, so horrible and such a harsh thing. I want to tell you how freeing it is. She did as she was told. She didn't, in our culture, we would do, she did as she felt. Or she did as she thought. Or she did as her Facebook feed instructed her. She did as the Netflix queue said, watch this one now. We will just go with the flow. 
And I want to tell you today, we have to stop up certain flows in our lives that are helpful. Don't go with every thought. You know, my thoughts ran away with me. My emotions took over me. I just went with it. You know, that, that sort of understanding. I just go with the flow. But actually, we need to press pause on those flows and learn she did as she was told. And I want to say this, Life Changes Church, don't let your mood determine your mission. Don't let your mood determine your mission, you know? How often are our days hijacked by one word, by one text message, by one Facebook post, by one phone call, and the whole flow of our day turns because he ruined my day. Who is he and why is he so powerful in your life? Don't let your mood determine your mission because I want to tell you this, that God works with our obedience, not our intentions. Hear me. God works with our obedience, not our intentions, what we wish we would do. She did as she was told. Uh, there's this great story in 1 Samuel 14. This incredible text of Jonathan and a guy called an armor bearer. He's not even named. And they go on this almost rebellious side mission where Jonathan gets courage to go and take on the enemies of God by themselves in a time where the whole nation are backing away. And Jonathan says to his armor bearer, let's go up and take on this, the Philistines. Let's go and see how many we can kill. And this amazing line he goes follows, he says, perhaps the Lord will give us success. I'm telling you, when I hear that, I'm not that excited. <laughs> if, if, it's, if I'm going to an operation, the surgeon says, it's all going to be okay. Perhaps things will go okay. Like, perhaps? As I go under what? On a plane, the pilot says, welcome on board, everybody. Perhaps it'll be a safe flight today. I'm like, get me off this plane now. I'm not a good with perhaps. But this armor bearer, how is his response? In 1 Samuel 40, he says, perhaps the Lord will give us success. The armor bearer says, I am with you, heart and soul. This is so massive because this is an understanding of, of, what, of, of, of faith, of obedience. It's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faith. God will save us. God can save us. And even if he does not, I'll do as I am told. This is obedience. This is what radical obedience is in this time. And, and I, I want to encourage my own heart. If we are one of the people who see the impossible, we have to become a people who are willing to get uncomfortable. That one will tweet. If you're into Twitter, I mean still. I don't know if anyone's still on Twitter. If you want to see the impossible, you have to be willing to get uncomfortable. And this is the season we're in because I know as human beings, we are a people who want proof. Don't, doesn't, we just want proof things are gonna get better. I want proof. I want proof that that deal's gonna go through. I want proof that the relationship's gonna work. I want proof that, that that tithing works. I want proof. But this is not how God works. He doesn't give us proof. He gives us a promise. We're a people who want outcomes. I want, I want outcomes. Give me a good outcome. But God says, no, I don't work on outcomes. I work on obedience. This is the way of God. This is the flow of God and how he leads to life. And I love this story because in verse 1, it says, this woman, she says, my husband is dead. She knows what was. And she says, the creditors are coming and they're going to take away my sons. She knows in her heart what will be. But the prophet of Elisha, the word of God in that moment says, what is your response now? And I speak to you, somebody here. I think we are people who get caught up in our past and we replay that narrative. We get caught up in our future fears and we play that narrative when actually all that is in your power right now is your response now. She did as she was told, don't hesitate, 
Don't speculate. Don't deliberate. Obey. Trust and obey. There is no other way. Her resources. Look again at her resources. You've got more than you know. Look again at your response. Obedience. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And thirdly, revelation. As I said last week, revelation is a thing that only God can do. It's only the, the flow that He can bring, that you cannot manufacture on your own ability. Revelation. And this is the incredible crux of the story. She did as she was told. She went, sent her sons to go and, and borrow the jars. I just love that about her. She, she sent her sons to go get the jars. I can't show a face around this neighborhood. The jar, they came, and then she shut the door. And that is huge. She shut the door. This doesn't, obedience and radical response doesn't need to be a Facebook status. It doesn't need to be a new declaration to everybody. No, it's actually what's done in private will determine what comes out in public. She shuts the door and then she begins to pour. My encouragement to you today, will you shut the door and will you begin to pour? She started to pour this little thing. Can you imagine those trembling little hands going, this is my last little thing I've got. And into an empty jar, she pours a little bit and she's like, Guys, this is, I don't know what's going to happen. And she's like, wait a minute, why is it? No, it's definitely, what the, this jar is full. This is weird. She goes next, this is very, this is strange, guys. And she starts to pour again. She's like, guys, this is, this is weird. And all of a sudden, this is no longer weird. It's starting to get fun. Now she's like, this is cool. I got the power. Woo! You get oil and you get oil. It's like just Oil starts to flow, to flow, to flow. And here's the revelation, the principle that I need us to get at this time. God fills up what we pour out. God fills up what we pour out. If you're online, write that down in the comments because I believe this is a truth we need to nail in our hearts. God fills up what we pour up. It becomes more when it is poured, not when it is stored. It becomes more when it is poured, when it is stored. Moses, what is in your hand? A stick. Throw it to the ground. It becomes a stake. Lift it in the air. Water starts to part. He says to them, what? the wine has run out. Water jars. Fill those water jars up. And it was as they're filling, as they're walking, as they start, it was in the pouring, it turns into wine. He says to them, you feed them with their lunchbox. Five loaves, two fish. And they're like nervous. He goes, hand it out. Hand it out. And it was in the breaking and the handing out. It just keeps multiplying. It just keeps multiplying. There was no proof, but there was a promise. There was not a based on the outcome. It was based on obedience. This is how God works. He fills up what we pour out. I want to say I love this understanding because Paul, the New Testament apostle, Paul was maligned. He was rejected, he was accused, he was beaten, he was imprisoned. And all the way through, this is what the testimony of his life, he says this, I have poured myself out as a drink offering for the people who vilified me, for the people who hated me, for the people who rejected my message. I have poured my life out. So he has our options. We can sulk when the flow is turned off, when the financial tap is tightened, when the emotional tap is tightened, when your relational tap is tightened, when your spiritual tap is tightened, and you feel like, I've got nothing left. You can sulk, you can sit back, you can store up, or you can pour out. Or you can pour out. And I want to say, maybe I felt for somebody here, you've been losing hope for your kids. Would you pour out your heart in prayer again? I've prayed so much, Gabe. My prayers, it feels like nothing is happening. Would you pour out what little you have left? 
You say, I'm done with my marriage. There's no hope. I've tried. Tried counseling. We've tried conversations. We've tried every single tip in the book. Would you pour out what little love you have left for your spouse? Maybe your boss, your colleague, and you say, I just come up to here. I can't do another day. Will you pour out forgiveness? The little forgiveness you got left, would you pour it out on their behalf? Would you, Life Change Church, would we be a people who start to pour out our praise? I'm empty, but I'm pouring out my praise. I'm empty, but I'm going to pour out my service. I'm, gonna, I'm empty, I'll pour out my prayer. I'll pour out my generosity. I'll pour out my encouragement. I'll pour out compassion because God fills up what we pour out. This is his principle. You want one more fact to prove this whole thing? I'll give you one more fact. Jesus Christ himself, my trump card, my checkmate this morning. The flow of Jesus' life. He starts off in this life, Jesus, there's miracles exploding everywhere. And he's just ramping up. Then it starts to be resurrection power. There's healings, blind eyes openings, lame people walking, lepers being set free, women being set free, the accused, the abused, the cursed being released from the darkness. It's this incredible freedom trail of progression of a flow. And it seems more and more the flow is flowing and flowing and flowing. Disciples are riding the waves all the way to Jerusalem going, we are taking the nation. It's ours. The flow is riding. And then all of a sudden, a day called Friday comes. And in one moment, in one betrayal, in one instant, it's like the tap is turned off. And Jesus is left on the cross. The silence. Everyone runs away. Feels like it's all done. It feels like the brokenness has come. It's quiet. The flow has stopped. But as Jesus starts to speak, as he starts to declare, it is finished. The only sound that was left was drip, 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 drip. As a new flow was established from Emmanuel's veins came a blood that would never, ever fail. That would never, ever stop. That would never, ever be held back. That would never, ever cease. And I want to tell you right now, everything else in your life may be stopped, but I tell you, His blood never does. His grace never does. His mercy never does. It flows and it flows and it flows and it flows to our most broken spots because I tell you this, the Bible says He became nothing. He became empty. He became poured out unto the nature of a servant. Philippians 2. I tell you this, the powerful hands that held the stars now became the personal hands that bore our scars. This is who our King is. This is who Jesus is. This is what He does. And I want to tell you, when you've run dry, when you have nothing left, when you are empty, trust the only flow that does not. This is amazing. One more. I've got a few minutes left. I'm having fun. Exodus chapter 37. This is incredible narrative. Moses has led the people of God out in power out of Egypt. Boom, thunderbolts and lightning. Power, power, power. Miracles, red seas. Boom, they're free. And then on the horizon is the power of the promised land. Two stories of power. And in between is 40 ordinary, empty, nothing years. Where it feels like the tap has been tightened. Wandering. In the midst of that, Moses says, actually, I want us to design the Ark of the Covenant. And as he designs the Ark of the Covenant to God, Bezalel, he starts to tell him, this is how you're going to design it. Specific, specific, specifics. 
And they get, as he's building, it says, we're going to build the Ark of the Covenant where, where the God's presence is going to dwell. And at the very end, for time's sake, he says, I want you to put two angels at the top, the cherubim and the seraphim, sitting on top here, overlooking the place where God's glory will dwell. And in the middle will be something called the mercy seat where people will receive mercy and grace and forgiveness. And I can imagine Bezalel, the architect, starts drawing some sort of a chair. And Moses goes, no, 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 cross it out. It's a mercy seat, a chair. No, 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 no. I don't want a physical chair there. It needs to be empty. It's called the mercy seat, but there was no design for a chair. It was empty. But we know that was the place the presence of God would fill because God fills things that are empty. Stick with me. John chapter 20. Jesus died. The blood starts to flow, but the disciples haven't received it yet. And Mary is spinning. Her world is chaos. She got that moment. Jesus has died. And they're coming for you. The flow of your life has stopped. What am I going to do? And Mary is distraught. And she goes to the only place she knows, just like the, wo- the woman In the story of 2 Kings 4, she goes to the Word of God, the place, the last place she'll know it'll be. And she arrives at the tomb. And stick with me here. What does she see there? Two angels presiding over a space. And she says, where have you taken my Lord? Say, he's not here. It's empty. It's empty. Because he's left. Empty things can be made full. Empty things can be made full. Can we stand to our feet in this moment? I believe God is wanting to pour out His life in our lives. Can you lift your hands with me? We're going to sing now in a moment. We're going to lift our voices and we're going to declare. You might have nothing left. Lift your hands. We are. Lift your hands. We are receiving from God together. Let's honor His presence in this room. Let's honor at home while you watch online. Receive right now. Receive because if you're empty and you say, I've got nothing left, Well, can I tell you, all you can do is praise Him. And as you pour out your praise, He says, I will pour in my life. I will pour in my life. He fills up that which we pour out. Right now, I declare, empty things be filled. Empty relationships, empty dreams, empty hopes, empty faiths. I pray empty lives be filled by the presence of God. Not by earthly things, not by earthly efforts, but by the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness, the blood that never runs dry. The flow of God, the flow of God is starting into anxiety. The flow is starting right now in this place. The flow of God is starting this place. As we lift up our eyes, as we lift up our hands, we're going to sing and declare that all the earth will see the fullness of our God as the people of God. Give them the empty. Let's sing together.